Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. They profess themselves to be wise. Uh, you know what you call somebody who professes? They would be a professor, Right? And, and you look out in the educational institutions of this world, and there's a lot of professors that profess a lot of things. Some of the greatest foolishness in the world comes from very highly educated people out of, you know, that are in, in universities and well-respected. Uh, professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. But the world looks at them and says, oh, look how wise that man is. You know, they look at the, whatever the degrees on the wall or, or whatever, and they say, look how wise that man is. And God says, it's, just, it's foolishness. Go to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18 says, let no man deceive himself. Well, what, what does Paul mean there? Don't deceive yourself about what? If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. You see what he says? He says, if you think you're wise in the world, what you ought to do is become a fool in the eyes of the world that you may be truly wise. There's a, there's a mistake in thinking that the church can somehow impress the world to get them to believe in Christ. You know, this is what a lot of people's view of ministry is today. That the church has to in some way impress the world. We have to become so much like the world that they will look at us and honor us and respect us and think, oh, you know, on that basis, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in that truth. That's not what God says. Really, God says, if you look wise to the world, you're, you're doing the wrong thing. You ought to look like a fool to the world to be truly wise. If you're teaching the right thing, it will look foolish to the world. If it looks wise to the world, um, you're, you're not teaching the truth, or, or at least not teaching all of the truth. You see, he says, if somebody is wise in this world, uh, become a fool, you may be wise. To, to think that, um, that we are wise, like that prince of Tyrus does, that's what he's talking about when he says, let no man deceive himself. See, that prince of Tyrus in saying, I am God, and setting his heart as the heart of God, who he was deceiving was himself. And, and you know, usually people like that, they deceive themselves more than anybody else. Because 
The people around them, I mean, even, even in those ancient cultures where they might worship a king as God, uh, you know, there was, uh, I, I'm sure there was always some degree of, of cognitive dissonance there. You know what that is, cognitive dissonance? That's the ability to hold two contradictory thoughts in your mind at the same time and not to see the contradiction, right? And, and I'm sure when people were worshiping the king of Tyrus as God, uh, you know, they knew that he wasn't God, right? I mean, they knew he was going to die someday. They knew he wasn't God. And yet they would worship him as God and, and, you know, hold those two contradictory things in their mind. But he said his heart is the heart of God. But, you know, you can't outsmart God. You can't, you can't be more wise than God is. Go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here the Apostle Paul describes his own preaching in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, if that's all you knew, if you didn't know anything else in the world, if you didn't know anything else besides that, Jesus Christ and him crucified, you'd be better off than the, than the vast majority of the world. Now, you might have some, some problems in day-to-day life if you didn't know anything else except that, you know, uh, when your car breaks down or, or something like that. That's not to say there aren't useful things uh, to know in the world. But you see, as far as Paul's preaching goes, you see what he said. He said, I came and I just preached Christ and him crucified. And you see, that's, that's the message of the Bible. That's the message of the completed word of God is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That Jesus Christ, that God came and took on human flesh and took all of the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, upon himself. He became guilty for it in the sight of God and suffered the just punishment for that. That, that just amazes me. I mean, you, you think about, you know, there's all kinds of, of wickedness going on in the world and, and, you know, things you hear in the news. It almost doesn't, doesn't even benefit you to listen to the news because, you know, all the terrible things going on in the world. And you think about, you know, some of these, these people have just done these terrible things and the punishment that they deserve. Imagine one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, becoming guilty for all the wickedness that's been committed and will be committed in the world. And to take that upon himself and not to suffer just the judgment of man. You realize that, you know, a lot of times when, when the cross is portrayed, people focus on the, the physical, uh, just, just the physical punishment that Christ received. But you realize there was something much more than that going on there. Jesus Christ suffered the judgment of God on the cross of Calvary. He suffered the judgment of God poured out without mixture, without any kind of of diluting of the just judgment of God. That's what Jesus Christ suffered on the cross of Calvary. And he didn't do it for his own sin. He didn't have any sin to pay for of his own, but he did it for us. He paid for our sin. And, And the message of the cross that all that sin has been paid for and all the ungodly sinner need do is to trust what Christ did to, to forsake your own works and realize you can't, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. You can deceive yourself like the prince of Tyrus and, and you know, set your heart as the heart of God, but it's just self-deception. 
all that's made clear when, when you know, people are judged by God, and, and that will all be made clear. But to trust in the cross of Calvary and say there's nothing I can add to it, nothing I can do to save myself because Jesus Christ did it all on the cross. That's the, the message of Christ and him crucified. Now, that's a foolish message in the world. I mean, even the idea of sin is becoming increasingly foolish to the world. Uh, to use the word sin, the, you know, the, uh, the world doesn't, doesn't even a lot of times acknowledge the existence of sin. I remember, I remember when I was in, uh, in high school and there was a, in an English class, we were reading some, some piece of literature and, and there was something in the story where uh, the boy was, was disobedient to his parents and and he was he was like very concerned about the fact that he had disobeyed his parents and the the teacher was sort of making light of it and and she said you know you can see how he's just so guilty about this little thing that he did like it was some sin and that confused me because i thought that it is, it was sin right but she she thought sin just means some really big bad thing is sin Disobeying parents, you know, that's just a little thing. That, but that's sin. If that, if that was the only sin ever committed, it would require the death of the Son of God to pay the price for that. Right? Sin is a serious thing. And, and, and here, that was the message, that foolish message of the cross by the foolishness of preaching, that Paul comes there to, to Corinth, and he says, I, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. You know, it's, we desire oftentimes to present ourselves as being strong, right? But what does Paul say? He says, I just came to you in weakness. I came to you in fear and trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, there's a real, there's a real danger uh, oftentimes with, with you know, preachers that are, that are very strong and very, very uh, you know, good public speakers and that, and people start to put their faith in the man instead of in the message, even, even if the man isn't intending to do that, right? I have a, I have a friend who was, he was uh, baptized in a, a big church with a well-known preacher. If I said his name, you would know his name. And he, for years, you know, he, he thought he was, he was, a special kind of Christian because he had been baptized by this man that people all over the world listen to on the radio, right? Paul says he just came in weakness and fear. And, and, that man, and that's not to say that that man tries to portray himself in that way, right? But, but that's, again, this, this uh, nature that we have. Paul says his speech and his preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, how be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. We started out looking at some princes of this world, a physical prince, the, the prince of Tyrus, and the king of Tyrus, who would be a, a spiritual principality and power. 
Verse 7 says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, here it talks about some princes as well. And you know, there's different kinds of princes. Um, put, a, put a mark here in 1 Corinthians 2 and go over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And he describes there the armor of God you have to defend against those things. Now here, when he talks about principalities, a prince would rule over a principality, right? Here when he talks about principalities, these are spiritual principalities. These are spiritual, it's a spiritual wickedness in high places. If we wanted a, a very literal translation there, we could say heavenly places. That's literally the term in verse 12. We're, you realize that the Christians battle, so often Christians get sidetracked into a lot of different things. The Christians battle is not against, um, it, it's certainly not to go out and try and conquer other nations for Christ, like people have done at various times in history. And it's not even to, to whatever, you know, to stop the liberal agenda or whatever, these various things that Christians put a lot of their effort into. I'm not saying some of those things aren't worthwhile, but the battle that the believer is in, you see, is against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle that's fought in a spiritual way. The sword that you're given for that battle is the word of God. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not political activism. It's not uh, those kinds of things. It's the word of God. And you can put all your effort into all those other things and have it just be for nothing if you're not fighting a spiritual battle. And, and you see that there's some principalities, some powers there to be fought against. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 2 now, when it talks about the princes of this world, now certainly there were some, some physical princes of this world that were involved in the crucifixion of Christ, right? You have Pontius Pilate, you have Herod, you have these, these various individuals. But here in this verse, really, it's talking about the spiritual princes of this world. You see, Satan thought in killing Christ that that would be his victory, right? Uh, and, and that's something, I mean, you can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and the Lord says to the serpent, he talks to him about the seed of the woman, which is Christ, and he says, he shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, what Satan thought he was doing in killing Christ was what a venomous snake might try to do in biting at a heel, right? It gets that venom in there, and it puts to death its victim. But even back there in Genesis 3, it said that he would bruise his heel, but it's, he said that that seed will bruise your head. If you think of a, a picture of a snake biting out at somebody's heel, but the intended victim steps on the snake's head, the snake loses out in that battle, right? Right? 
And here it talks about how the princes of this world crucified the Lord of glory. Just like Satan, the king of Tyrus, was there acting behind the scenes with the, the, the man that was the prince of Tyrus, behind Herod, behind uh, uh, Pontius Pilate, certainly behind Judas, Satan was acting to put to death Christ. And here it says, though, that if Satan had known what was going to be accomplished by the cross, he never would have done it. And it talks here about some hidden wisdom. It talks about a mystery, some hidden wisdom that God ordained before the world, but he never told anybody about. Because you don't tell your enemy your, what your secret weapon is, right? He had, God had some hidden wisdom that he didn't tell anybody about. What did it say about the prince of Tyrus there? Uh, it said that he, he knew all secrets. Well, there are some secrets that the prince of Tyrus didn't know and the king of Tyrus didn't know. In all their wisdom, they didn't know. And had, had Satan known it, you see it says that he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. There's a, there's a mystery. Now that mystery ought not, to be, ought not be a mystery to you today. It was hidden in time past, but now it's made known. If you go over to Ephesians chapter 3... You notice what it says here, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. Whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. See, there was a mystery. The word mystery in the Bible has a very de definite meaning. It, it's not always referring to the same mystery, but the word mystery in the general sense has a definite meaning. And it means something that has previously been kept secret, and now it's revealed. In, in uh, Matthew chapter 13, Christ talks about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And there's a bunch of parables there that uh, describe some things that really hadn't been made clear in, in prophecy. Specifically in those parables, it's the fact that there would be this gap of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming where he was going to go away. And, and uh, you know, those parables deal with how, how the believers, you know, there would be wheat, uh, tares among the wheat. Um, there would be leaven in the, in the lump of dough, right? And how... You know, there was going to be this, this gap of time. Those are the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Here, here he talks about a mystery which, which he identifies with what he calls the dispensation of the grace of God. To dispense something is to, to give something out. And it has the idea of God revealing something. Oikonomia, it means, it means uh, house rules. You know, you can go back into the Old Testament, and God gave Israel some house rules, right? It was called the law. And that was what, what was to govern their, their conduct. It was to govern Israel and, and, you know, people who joined themselves to Israel. That, that law God gave. Now we're told that the law has been 
done away in Christ. There's a different dispensation. God has dispensed something else. And he calls it here the dispensation of the grace of God. And Paul says that it was given to him for us. Just like the law was given to Moses for Israel, God gives the dispensation of grace to Paul for the church, the body of Christ. And, and he identifies that dispensation of grace with the mystery. He says how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. And, and verse 5 says, in other ages it was not made known. It doesn't say that men just didn't understand it. You know, sometimes people will try and go back into the Old Testament and they'll say, oh, you know, here, this passage is about, about the dispensation of grace and, and the church, the body of Christ. Paul doesn't say that it, it was hinted at, but men didn't understand it. He just says it wasn't made known. God didn't tell anybody about it. The, the thing specifically that the Apostle Paul and his epistles call a mystery, you won't find in the Old Testament. Here in this passage, he identifies the mystery in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now in verse 6, when it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, that's not fellow heirs with Israel, that's fellow heirs with Christ. You see, the Gentiles are made fellow heirs with Christ. They're made of the same body of Christ and made partakers of his promise in Christ. By the gospel. And, you know, there were, there were believers. You had believing Israelites in the Old Testament. You had Gentiles that came to believe in the Old Testament. But God had set a difference between Jew and Gentile. So that even the believing Gentile in the Old Testament was not on the same, on the same plane as a, as a believing Jew. They had a different status before God. But now God's taken away that, that wall of partition. Um, talks about that in the previous chapter there in Ephesians, that God's taken away that, that partition that he had put in place between Jew and Gentile, and how now there's no difference. And so now Gentiles, and, and the Gentiles are just the nations, okay? So when God had set Israel apart as a, as a special nation, the rest of the nations were called the Gentiles. Now today God has set Israel aside as that special nation, and he's, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. And Gentiles have, have access to some things they didn't have access to before. They can be fellow heirs with Christ. They can become members of Christ's own body, partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You won't find any of that in the Old Testament. You won't find it outside of, of uh, this mystery that the Apostle Paul talks about. And so he says in verse 7, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, when it says that they're unsearchable, the word there means untraceable, untrackable. You can't go back through the pages of the Old Testament and trace out this mystery that he talks about. Now, there's some riches of Christ that are traceable, right? You can go back and read all the prophetic things about Israel and what God is yet going to do with them in the future. You can, you can find some of the riches there, but not the unsearchable riches of Christ. Those are those secret things. Those are those secrets that even that prince of Tyrus who thought he knew all secrets didn't know. 
because God hadn't revealed it. And so Paul says, you can imagine the great, the great duty that's given to the Apostle Paul in this, this grace being revealed to him, this mystery being revealed to him. He says in verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. The ultimate way in which God has shown the wisdom of the world to be foolishness is through this revelation of the mystery. See, Satan himself, in all his wisdom, didn't know all that was going to be accomplished at the cross. I'm sure he knew some things that, that God had said would be accomplished by the cross uh, because, you know, the, the word of God had been revealed. Satan had many, a long time to study it. But he didn't know this mystery And what a humbling thing that ought to be for any man. Again, we like to think we're pretty wise, but but understand um, all that wisdom that we might glory in is just foolishness with God. You want to find real wisdom, you come to God's Word. You study that book that God has revealed. Don't worry about, about making yourself wise. You just be willing to be foolish and believe what God says in His Word and trust that God is wise. Right. And, you know, if that means you you lose a little bit of status in some lost person's eyes, um, I I would say that's not a whole lot to lose, is it? Um, You know, do do you regard the esteem of the world so highly that it's more important than truth and, and the word of God? What a great privilege we have that God has taken those riches, the searchable riches of Christ and the unsearchable, and he's put them in a book. And we don't have to go and learn some other language to to read that book, or it's not in some secret code. We've got it here in our language. We can study it. Uh, The believer in Christ has a spirit of God dwelling in them to help give understanding of that book. And how neglectful we often are. We leave that book on the shelf. We go for days or weeks or months without picking it up. And we've got this wealth that God's given to us. And, and we go on just kind of, kind of ignorant of, of uh, all the spiritual things going on around us. Um, we, we really are foolish when we just look at our flesh. And yet, God has taken us in that sinful state, and he's called us righteous and holy and just on the, on the basis of what Christ did, not on the basis of how, how good we are. And if you've never trusted that that foolishness of preaching, that message of Christ and him crucified, if you're trusting in anything other than Christ alone and his finished work on the cross of Calvary to get you to heaven, you're one of those people that the Bible would describe as being a fool, that's professing to be wise and and yet is a fool. To To think that my feeble efforts could add anything to what Christ suffered there on the cross of Calvary is a foolish thing indeed. And if you're, if you're sitting here today, you think, you think you're wise, pay heed to that verse. It says, that, you know, if any man thinks he's wise, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Stop worrying about becoming wise in and of yourself and just realize God is wise. And if you stick to what God says, you'll be demonstrating that wisdom of God. And again, that's a, that's a great privilege we have to have that word that we can go to. And we ought to regard it as such and, and give it its due, uh, its 
you know, its due place in our lives as the wisdom of God and the word of God. Let's close there with prayer. Lord God, we thank you for that book that you've given. We, we thank you that even these secret things, these hidden things, you've made known. And we pray we would be diligent to study your word, that we would study, study to show ourselves approved unto you, that we'd be workmen that need not to be ashamed, and that we would rightly divide that word of truth to understand the mystery that's been revealed and, and those hidden things, that we would dig into your word and, and make that uh, really the centerpiece of our life, that we would give it priority over so many things in our lives that really are just not that important. Uh, or of any eternal value. And uh, we thank you that that you use that word to build us up and strengthen us. And, And even though we may be fools in the eyes of the world, we thank you that we have access to your wisdom that makes foolish the wisdom of this world. We thank you for all of these things, and we thank you for our time together here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.